0: So we're in Colossians chapter 3 and in verse 5. You know, we have, we died on the cross with Christ. We are seated in heaven with Christ and we will be in glory with Jesus Christ. And the truth of that is that as true today as it, as, it, as it was yesterday, yet right now, We are still living on earth, struggling with temptation and with sin. So for all of us, in in probably many different ways, Paul's next words here in Colossians chapter 3 are going to be deeply challenging, I think, for all of us. So let's just pray for a moment. Lord, God, we do thank you, Lord, that your word does challenge us in order to change us. So, Lord, Lord, make us willing right now to be shaped by it. Lord, may we hear it, but then apply it to our lives. With the help of your Spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to just start in verse 4 and then run through from there, actually. So, we begin. And when Christ... Who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all His glory. So, put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater worshiping the things of this world. Because of these sins, the anger of God Is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malice, behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on the new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and to become like Him." in this new life. It doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and He lives in all of us. Now, I hope you notice in verse 5, it begins with the word, so, or therefore, depending on your translation. And, and Paul's point is that we will want to strip off our old sinful nature and actually put on our new nature because of who we are in Christ. And, and, and Paul's, Paul chooses his words very carefully. the start of verse 5, he could have said, stop doing or give up sinful behavior. Instead, he says, put to death. You must not tolerate sin within your life. You need to kill it. it. It needs to be destroyed. Now you see, the same thing, we see the same thing in Galatians chapter five where we are told to put to death the flesh with all of its passions and all of his desires. And, and God draws this thick red line between your life as a Christian and who you were before you were a Christian. A, a difference in, in lifestyle that should be unmistakable. Now this affects our tastes, our standards, our attitudes, our our life. It, It should be pulled apart from the life we had before we knew Jesus. And you need to be ruthless with your selfishness, with your pride, with your sin, because God is calling you to be like Jesus. Verse 10. So let's just take a closer look at the things that that, that must be put to death. Now this section in Colossians is is sadly all too relevant for us today, especially this whole subject of sex and and immorality. And it really all boils down to two types of love. A true love established by God or a a counterfeit love that is produced by Satan. And the, the first is a godly unselfish love covers more than, than just those intimate moments between a husband and a wife, but which stands in sharp contrast to the lustful, to the, the self-indulging love that is, that's all about fulfilling my desires and, and my needs. This is the sort of thing that our, our TVs, our novels, our songs, our our movies exploit, they affect our emotions, and they can, they can alter our perceptions. And these lustful desires are counterfeits for genuine love. And, and therefore, not surprisingly, this is the kind of love that can so easily turn into immorality, impurity, and, and sexual sin. Now, statistically, if you believe that in the biblical principle that those intimate moments between a man and a woman should only be within marriage. You're in the minority today. You don't need me to tell you that we live in a sex oriented society, and these passions can become very powerful, very compelling. They can drive us. They can occupy our minds. Affairs, pornography, sexual perversions are on the increase. And the pressure can be intense from our peers, from our TV screens, certainly from the internet. And and, and lie Satan wants us to believe that, that if we just satisfy those lusts, those passions, well, it's, it's perfectly all right, and actually there are no harmful results. Yet it stands in sharp contrast with what the Scriptures teach. Because sexual perversion is not just wrong, it is hurtful, it is harmful, and it is destructive. Now, this is the environment that Paul is writing into. And yes, the technology may have moved on today, but actually human hearts really aren't that different. And Paul gives us the strongest encouragement to do what is right, so he he pleads with us to remove any hint of sin from our lives. And Paul he doesn't shy away from some very straight talking about sexual purity, and greed, and idolatry. Some thoughts on this. Verse eight. Firstly, be careful how you talk. He says that these these shameful things shouldn't even come. And, and shouldn't come out of our mind. They shouldn't be talked about to joke, to make sexual innuendos a frequent subject of conversation or to be just constantly making suggestive remarks can keep unhealthy thoughts in our minds. And actually, there is often a very small step between dwelling on something and actually doing something. And now, it's not that Paul is, is prudish. He's not saying that we shouldn't tell jokes or that we shouldn't discuss sex, instead, Our conversations, including those about sex, should come from an attitude of thanksgiving and praise. Our words should be pure. Don't joke about sex, but give thanks for it as a wonderful gift from God within biblical marriage. Secondly, be careful what you do. See, there shouldn't be a hint, not even a whiff, of any kind, of moral behaviour among Christians, flirting on compromising situations, the internet, the films that we watch, the books we read, the magazines with unhealthy on, on sexual content. We need to protect our, our and guard our hearts, our minds, our eyes. We need to put protection in place so that we think what we say. And what we do is above question. This is God's standard, and we, we must make a choice. Will we fit in with the expectations of others, or will we live in a biblical, in a countercultural way? Now, you'll notice here that Paul names a list of sins in verse 5, but the words greed, sexual sin, and idolatry are almost interchangeable. Greed, in this case, is where sexual appetites or even physical appetites abuse ourselves and, and others for pleasure without any sense of responsibility or care. And how often do you hear the words, you know, it, it's, it's all about me. It's about my pleasure. I, I'm going to do this because this is what I want to do. And immorality can be regarded as just ruthless greed for the... Jew, idolatry was the worst of all of these sins. Idolatry is putting anything before God. That includes money and possessions and sex. And, and Paul's point is that sexual sin is actually rooted in idolatry. For many people, that is, that is what they, they worship. And, and so often this is hidden, but, but what goes on in the secrecy of your thoughts, those things that nobody else knows except God, will speak volumes about about who you are at your very core. So what is the thing that dominates your mind and your heart? Because that is what you'll worship. If it's not God, it it is idolatry, and you must deal with it, you must repent from it, you must run from it. Thirdly, don't make excuses. It's amazing how we can convince ourselves that, that sin is not really sin. This is the person who's having the affair who says it's okay because we just love each other. Listen, it's not okay according to God's word. People will go to elaborate lengths to lie to themselves. Listen, there are many attacks that come from outside the church calling the Christian to conform to social and to culture, ever-changing norms. But as a follower of Jesus, you are to live differently, shaped by God's Word, shaped by His Spirit. But a more dangerous attack comes from within. See, there are those in the church who have, I think, perverted the doctrine of grace. I fear this is sadly relevant in in the UK today. Those that maybe we would not admit to it or even use these sort of words, but Paul deals with it head on in in Romans chapter 6. The argument went something like this. I'm sure you've heard it. Is God's grace the greatest thing in all the world? Yes. I think we'll all agree, yes, of course it is. Is God's grace big enough to cover all of my sins? Again, the answer is absolutely yes, but then well, then let's let's go on sinning. And in fact, the more that we sin, the more chance God's grace gets to operate. No, no, no. Now, again, you may not use those words in that sense, but I wanna suggest that this is how many people think because it's how they behave. With any gift or privilege, there comes an obligation and actually a responsibility. Now, it's true that that God's love does and and, and will forgive, but, but to mock it by carrying on sinning means that we haven't understood the unfathomable greatness of God's love through Christ. You see, understanding grace demands love and obedience, and we must never make light of sin. Once we have truly experienced such grace and such love, instead of leading us to carry on sinning, we should be saying, I love you, Jesus. I love you with all of my heart. I don't deserve what you have done for me. And you will obey not because you have to, but actually because you want to. And we must take sin seriously. And to do that lovingly and well. We need the support of others. We we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be constantly reminded that God is serious about sin. How? Well, actually, Paul tells us, gives us the answer in verses 9 and 10, and he says we need to strip off and then put on. And after Paul has painted this this bleak, this dark picture, he writes, "For you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds." Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and to become like Him. Now, I don't think you can miss this huge contrast that exists here. And Paul is saying, You are not like that. At least, you shouldn't be like that anymore. You are Christ's. You belong to Him. And because you belong to Christ, this Christian life is radically different because you've encountered Jesus. And Paul wants to remind us the truth as it is in Jesus Christ. You see, this is the school of Christ, where Jesus is both the teacher and also the teaching. He is also the context. He's the atmosphere in which we are learning. He is our subject. He's the object. He's the very environment of our instruction. To put it simply, the truth is Jesus. It begins and it ends in Jesus Christ, God who became man, a real historical person who lived, who died, who rose again, he ascended into heaven, he sends his spirit to those who trust in him. But there's more. We we must also declare Jesus as Lord. And the implication of this is that his rule of righteousness has got moral demands upon your life. If anyone tells you that you don't have to give anything up or change in any way or come into line with God's Word when you come to Christ, you don't believe them. In fact, Paul says the complete opposite. Following Jesus requires nothing less than putting off the old way of living like rotten clothes and then putting on some new clothes. To be a disciple of Christ involves this radical change. That moment of conversion is a moment of, of recreation. It's the putting off, it's the removing one thing and then the putting on of something else. Those of you who have known me for a while will be, will be familiar with my farming stories. I grew up milking cows on my dad's farm. By the time I'd ever finished milking cows, I was a mess. My clothes, my hands, my face, sometimes my hair was just covered in manure. But when I finished, the first thing I would do would go to the downstairs shower room near the back door of the house. Very convenient. I would strip off completely. I would throw everything into the wash basket and then jump into the shower. And after... Apart from the fact that my mum would never have let me any further into the house in such a messy state, I didn't, not even for a moment, imagine that my stinking poo-covered clothes would somehow magically be transformed into spotless clean clothes ready for an evening out. Deliberately, I would take off the old clothes, I would wash, I would replace them with something that was much more appropriate. And this... This is the picture of salvation. It is the stripping off, it is the removing of dirty clothes and the complete washing of the body. But but this is more than just a simple bath. This is a completely new nature. The cost was the sacrificial death of Jesus. He did everything for us. The wonderful, this undeserved gift of grace that we receive from him by faith. And in that moment of faith, you were, you are made new, reclothed in the righteousness of Jesus, justified by his precious blood. But also, it's also the beginning of this process of what we call sanctification, of growing in Christ. And and by his grace, you're called to to live, to daily decide to remove the old and then to put on the new. A changed life just doesn't happen automatically. That moment you become a Christian, something changes. But we also must have this deliberate, this drastic getting rid of the old ways and this deliberate, this radical new habit being formed within our lives. But this and even this is a divine, it's a sovereign miracle performed. By the power of the Holy Spirit. But it begins with repentance, where there's a change of mind and behavior regarding sin, ourselves, and especially our view of God. And, and, and we cannot be saved unless we repent and we turn our back on sin. And the idea that we can have both of these is just simply crazy. You hold on to sin, you refuse God. Does that mean that we are completely free from sin or that we will never slip or fall? Of course not. Today and every day I get back on my knees and I repent. And the struggles that I face, the temptations that I battle with are probably not that much different to yours. So even though the challenges may be different, the principles are still the same, and every day I pray that God would keep my mind pure, that I would show integrity in every area of my life, that I would love my wife as I should, that would be the father that I, that I need to be, that I would be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? Because I know how weak and how vulnerable I am. You and I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can't do this without Him, and my hope and my prayer is that this is a place where we can face our struggles together, a place where we can be open and and honest with one another so that we can, so that our determined direction should be away from sin and actually towards Jesus Christ. Yet at the same moment, we must remember God's amazing grace is such that sin does not change our position before God. It is because of Jesus who paid the debt that you could never pay, that, you, that you, you're made holy and blameless before him. In a sense, you're compelled to, be, to obey, but not out of duty, but out of love for the one who first loved you. And yes, it's only by a spirit that any of this is possible. And we live in this tension, don't we? We are new, but not completely new. We are righteous and holy, but we're not yet perfect. Righteous and holy. And this change is progressive. It is this continual renewal as we grow in grace and in the knowledge and in the likeness of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's, really, it's really very simple. This is for everyone who believes this is not an exclusive message for either a Jew or a Gentile as it was in the days of Colossians it's not about only for the rich people and or maybe only for the poor people you see no nationality no social demographic no social demographic no minority is excluded it is for all people because everyone needs to be saved. The gospel came to each and to every one of us everywhere. It is through faith in Jesus and in Jesus Christ alone that a sinner is saved. His power goes to work in anyone and in everyone who believes. But if you are a son of God, and by son I mean son and daughter, at least that's what the Bible means as well. If you're a son, a daughter of God, you should have a family resemblance. We're heard the ready this morning, haven't we? (laughs) That is what Paul is saying here in verse 10. We are to mimic God's character, especially in His love, and and we are to reproduce godliness. But according to Romans chapter 5, imitating His love is absolutely possible because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us, and we are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit to be like Jesus. And it's by studying God's Word and by being, by being filled with His Spirit, that we become imitators of our Heavenly Father. My, my daughter, Rosanna, has always loved drawing. And as a young child, she, she often drew by, by tracing. She put a bit of paper on top of another picture and then draw around the outline. And the more careful that she did that, the better the likeness to the original drawing. And she could produce some amazing pictures, even at a very young age. Listen, the pattern for the Christian is Jesus. We trace our life on him. We allow the Holy Spirit to pattern us after Jesus. We copy him. But the big difference between this tracing and that of a young child learning to draw is that there never will be a time when Jesus is not your pattern. So because he is holy, we are to be holy. Because he is kind, we are to be kind because he is forgiving we are to be forgiving because God in Christ humbled himself we are to be humbled because God is love as his children we are to walk in love and the ability to do this is not natural it's not even that easy sometimes but a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit and, and God's love was most beautifully demonstrated for us at the cross. This greatest act of love, this undeserved forgiveness was seen. The supreme act of God's love was was in in Him giving up His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. It's it's a love that, that brought forgiveness to sinful, rebellious people. And listen, Jesus, He is our example. He's who we follow. He lived in in perfect obedience to God, and he had perfect love for man, an obedience that was so absolute, a love that was so infinite, that he went to a cross. You see, the presence of forgiveness always proves the presence of love. Because only love has the motive and the power to forgive. And the person who really knows how much they have been forgiven by God's love will in turn forgive others and just love them. That's what it means to be an imitator of of our Heavenly Father. To imitate God is to love and to forgive others with the same kind of sacrificial love as that of Jesus. It will affect our relationship, including, including how men love women and how women love men. See, godly love does not lust, it does not take advantage of, it does not manipulate or use. Instead, it acknowledges the loveliness and the beauty of of God's gift by, by putting sexual intimacy in the right place within biblical marriage, a man and a woman who before God have made a lifelong commitment to each other. And listen, this is a beautiful thing. So just finish, just some maybe practical thoughts as I just pull this to a close. First thought is this. Most people have or will struggle with sexual temptation at some point in their life. In fact, some of the most godly men have fallen just this past year. Sadly, one of the leaders in the Christ Central Churches has had to step down from ministry for this very reason. Listen, if it can happen to them can happen to you, and it can happen to me. Each one of us needs to guard our hearts. Secondly, sexual sin is not not the unforgivable sin. We see it here in Colossians chapter 3. We also read about it in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9 to 11. And Paul says that that some of the readers once were guilty of these sins, but now they'd been made new. They had been pardoned. They'd been cleansed. If you've fallen in this area, there is forgiveness, and there's healing, and there's restoration at the foot of the cross. Augustus' top lady who wrote that great hymn, Rock of Ages, he wrote these words, Let the water and the blood From thy raven side which flows, be of sin the double cure, cleanse me from its guilt and power. And the double cure, that speaks of God's cleansing, both from the power of sin, but also from the guilt that it leaves behind. And it's not that God is in any way lenient upon our sin. No, it is because at the cross of Christ, God's justice was fully satisfied in Jesus Christ. So the forgiveness of your sin is as rock solid as the historic reality of Christ's death. And with it comes a certainty of healing and restoration. Thirdly, if you're struggling with temptation in this area, you are not abnormal and you're not alone. Temptation is not a sin As long as you say no but you will never defeat this in your own strength saying no is not enough you must say yes to something better and Paul says that the way to replace immorality is by finding our pleasure in God and in live and to live in thanksgiving for all that he has done for us and give thanks for our bodies give thanks for that we belong to God and if you're married give thanks for marriage and for the intimacy and the joy that you find there fourthly God is no joy killer. he's not trying to rob us of all the best pleasures rather he shows us how to guard the most precious and the most intimate from being ruined listen if you're a young person or if you're single be patient. Wait for the right person. It, it may be that God has, has given you the gift of singleness. Either way, live for God's best within your life. Fifth thought is this there's a warning here just to be careful put safeguards in place be accountable to at least one person maybe preferably two don't put yourself in a vulnerable situation in vulnerable places and as a child of god you have been given the spirit given revulsion of sin listen to the spirit flee from any hint of sin but to linger in sin whether open or hidden without it concerning you should suggest that you are looking for your pleasure in something else other Than in Jesus. So I want to challenge you, as Paul challenges the Corinthians or the the Colossians, to take time out to do some soul searching that you may find your hope, that you might find your joy in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's just stand together. I'm very conscious of the heavy passage these are the sort of passages that unless you're preaching through a book of the bible you just will never speak about (laughs) i'll be honest because they're not easy and as i said at the beginning there are challenges here that will challenge each and every one of us in maybe many different ways so i want to invite just the holy spirit to come and say in a moment we're going to come and we're going to have communion together as we celebrate the love and the grace and the mercy of Christ. Let's just, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Come and just minister. Lord, where where these words have been taken and hit too hard, where I've got it wrong, where I've said it in a harsh way, Lord, I pray for forgiveness for that, and I pray, Lord God, that, Lord, that you would By your grace, just work in the lives of each one of us. But Lord, also we we want to stand by your word. We want to be men and women of the word and of the spirit. Lord, where we value, Lord, what your word says. And so, Lord, we want to shape our lives not on what society is telling us, but Lord, on what the scriptures say to us so lord we ask lord that you would not you bring conviction and lord we would come before you now just in repentance what is necessary knowing that you're a god who forgives a god who loves a god whose mercy is beyond even our own understanding just work within our hearts now in Jesus name amen can I just say one final thing with a message like this some folks can feel condemned that's not God that's not the spirit of God God brings conviction that brings us to a place of repentance and a place of healing if you're feeling condemnation that's not God speaking to you, okay? So just get rid of that. Just lose that <laughs> completely. And we, we come under the word, but actually when God speaks, and when, words, God's, when God's word is spoken and when the Holy Spirit is working, there is conviction. That's a very different thing because that will bring you to a place of true healing and restoration. So Lord, I just pray. Lord, just help us to get that right. In Jesus' name, amen.